0: to Mormons, Christ is the brother of Lucifer. The Book of Mormon teaches that the fall of man only affects his actions, not his nature. And Christ's death was not a substitutionary sacrifice in the stead of sinners. Now, you compare that with the Bible, what it says about redemption and the work of Christ, and you'll find that the Old Testament is all, it's like a threaded weave work all leading to the person of the Lord Jesus that's coming into the world, whether it's the book of Genesis or Exodus, Leviticus, and on through the prophets and the minor prophets. What are they prophesying about? The coming of the Messiah. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and it is a joy to bring you the message of God's Word again today. And we're going to be looking at Mormonism, the cults are abounding in uh, all the countries of the world, even in the third world countries. These cults are so busy seeking to spread their uh, version of things and scooping in many, many people uh, through their vast organizations, through their uh, well-financed schemes. Uh, But is it the gospel? That's the issue that we want to address. And of course, we're going to be looking today at the Book of Mormon, Where did it come from? It has a very dubious background, uh, and it speaks about many, many dubious things of nations that were supposed to be in North America, which really, there is absolutely no verifiable information. Even the Smithsonian Institute, uh, they were asked, is there any uh, information at all that there were civilizations predating Uh, the native peoples of North America, uh, of a far distant immigrant people, and uh, waves of immigration from other countries. And there's an absolute no, an absolute no. So anyhow, we're going to be investigating that today. We're going to be taking a look at Mormonism. And of course, the Bible warns us of those who depart from the true gospel and they turn to another gospel. Now, this is something that almost boggles the mind. Man is seldom neutral. Where do you really find an atheist? Uh, Everybody has a religion of some sort, and we have to sift between the true gospel and the erroneous, the false. And we are called to make that distinct difference, and our authority is the Bible and the Bible alone. If we follow the Bible and its doctrines, defending, defining them very carefully, we will have a clear, true map to lead and to guide us. Now, let me read to you again from Galatians chapter one, where uh, the apostle Paul sums up the gospel in these words. He speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he may deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God, and our Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. That's the gospel our Lord Jesus, delivering us by his death, by his precious blood, from the curse of sin. And then Paul says about these Galatians, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, unto another gospel, which is not another, meaning it's not another of the same kind, it's radically different. But there be some that trouble you, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now there's a warning right in the Bible that this gospel, even before uh, the first century ended, there were those that were perverting and changing the gospel. And that is certainly what is happening before our eyes today. So stay tuned with us as we come to that message. First of all, we have our hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. Oh, that we may get our eyes on him. you again for being with us here on let the bible speak and today we're looking at mormonism this whole matter of where did they get their book of mormon the book of mormon claims to have been based on some strange language called reformed egyptian the problem is it's nowhere to be found there are no copies available today and we are uh, we don't even have the original that joseph smith claimed to have copied from and so everything is cloudy It's in the dark, mysterious, and it does not follow a process that is verifiable. Stay tuned with us here now today as we look at this whole matter of the Book of Mormon, the so-called other authority of Mormonism. Now, when we come to the Bible, well, isn't it surely sufficient where the Lord Jesus said that not one jot or tittle of his word will be? be lost will not feel and of course this word it's verifiable we have the original languages in which the bible was written hebrew and greek there are today literary works of the peoples of that time the languages they used scholars can learn hebrew and greek today they can go to the bible and they can discover that very language And because of the abundance of copies, now they might throw the argument at you and say, there's no original Bible today. There's no original copy of God's word in Hebrew and Greek. Those original documents are no longer existent. That's true. But there is an abundance of copies and copies of copies that have been handed down through the ages from the first century to now so that they can be collated, compared, and with the majority principle, we can determine here is God's word that was given. And as we seek to translate it, scholars can go to those languages, learn them. But as anyone here of Reformed Egyptian, can't be done. Never was such a, a language known on the earth. Next thing is point five, must be faithfully translated. That's necessary to give peoples of all languages the word of God. God's word in the original language is Hebrew and Greek, a little bit of Aramaic. But it needs to be translated. Aren't you thankful tonight that we have an English translation? Aren't you glad that we're not here quoting a foreign language to you? No, the word of God should be translated. But let's look at how it was done uh, by uh, the Mormons. Joseph Smith stated that he translated the Book of Mormon using those two stones. And whatever way the light shone, whatever he could see through those stones, he communicated it to a man called Cowdery, and he wrote it down in English. That's the translation process. Now, you take the translation of the Bible. If you were to be a translator of the Bible, you would need to be skilled in Hebrew language, Greek language, and those languages, while they're not, they're what they call dead languages, they're not the, the tongue of the person in Israel today. There's a whole new Hebrew being spoken in, in Israel today. When all the diaspora returned to uh, Jerusalem in 19, or Israel in 1948, they had to, with their Yiddish, they had to invent a whole new Hebrew language. But ancient Hebrew and Koine Greek, which was the common language of the Roman world, there are many works, many uh, ample literary uh, treatises available that. Men can say, well, here is how that word was used. And here's how it was understood. And so Bible societies can take lexicons, grammars, use the work of syntax, dictionaries to give people the word of God in their own tongue. How do the Mormons translate into other languages? Whatever Joseph Smith wrote, that's it. They have to take that, which he wrote, or Cowdery actually did the writing. Joseph Smith did the oral communication, but that's it. And if it's translated into German or French or other parts of the world, then it's translated from the English into that language. And so you can see that it is locked into a very questionable, if not a whole deceitful method. Historical agreement this is an interesting one. If you're going to have a Bible that is written by um, ancient authors and reflects the people of that time, uh, then of course, you're going to have historical agreement. Now, these golden plates discovered by Joseph Smith are no longer available. They were written in Reform Egyptian The Book of Mormon is about two waves of migrant people, one who came to Central America somewhere around the Tower of Babel time, and another wave of migrants who came from the Middle East around 600 BC. They were called the Nephites, the Lamanites. They were massive populations in the millions, and they fought and lived and died and went out of existence. But no archaeologist can find this ancient civilization. There's no artifacts. There's no remains of buildings or homes or weaponry or any instruments that they used. There is absolutely nothing. I read one author who wrote to the Smithsonian Institute, heavily involved in archaeology, and asked the head of the archaeology department, is there any evidence of such a race of people at that time? I read the letter uh, that was given back, and it was very clear that they have absolutely no evidence of such a civilization. Now, when you come to the Bible, and if this is God's word that reflects the life and times of an ancient people, then you're going to discover that you have places that agree. Jerusalem's Jerusalem. Um, Bethlehem is Bethlehem, where our Lord Jesus was born. Places, the map, that can be, there may be changes in names and drawing of boundaries and so on, but those lands, those hills, those valleys, those coastal lines, those rivers, they are there. It's the same land. Verifiable. Events agree. The great battles. Uh, One of the epochs of the Old Testament by which we date the Old Testament is the building of Solomon's Temple. Uh, That was so renowned among the other nations around uh, that it wasn't just recorded by the Israelites, it was recorded by many nations. The opening of Solomon's Temple. People agree. There were Hebrews, there were Greeks there were Syrians, there were Philistines, there were Egyptians. We know these people existed. Coinage, agree. You you read in your Bible of various coins that were used, and that's how it was. People paid their money in those coins, the shekel. And they had different kinds of shekels in different nations, but that's what they called them. Weights and measures, how they traded with one another, how they weighed things out, all of those things are fully verifiable. Neighboring dynasties. If you were living in Judah, you knew your neighbor was an Egyptian or a Syrian or uh, in the a Persian, or they came by sea, they'd be Phoenician people. Uh, there were the Greeks and there were other invaders. They were real people by real names, and they're in in the Bible. In fact, I read a thing in the uh, paper just yesterday that they have discovered uh, the area of Goliath, and they discovered some artifacts of the Philistines, and the names were very similar to the name Goliath. And so archaeologists are continually discovering uh, these civilizations, ancient civilizations that are in absolute agreement with the Bible. Number seven, internal testimony agreement. There's only one source for the Mormon Bible. That's of course Joseph Smith because he's the translator. He's the one who saw this so-called reformed uh, Egyptian, uh, and yet, and yet, the Book of Mormon contradicts itself. There are some glaring contradictions. And with only Joseph Smith involved in the receiving of the golden plates and translating with this Eurom and Thummim, how can you put any value to his testimony? How can you say it agrees? It agrees with what? It agrees with itself. He's the only author. When you come to the Bible, the Bible was written, um, in an amazing fashion, I'm going to jump down now to uh, number eight, authors complement one another. And if you go across uh, to the black writing under our Christian Bible, here's an interesting little note. The Bible was written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years. Writers in different eras spread over the history of Revelation. They added new information that enhanced the united, uh, unified doctrines of the Bible. This is a marvel of literary production without contradiction, and it's proof for the divine superintendence of the inspiration of the Scriptures. The Bible has 40 human authors, but only one divine author because of the amazing unity that is within the book. Point number nine is prophecies fulfilled. What prophecies are there in the Book of Mormon, specific prophecies, that are fulfilled? I know not of any. Whereas we have in our Bible amazing prophecies concerning the first coming of our Lord Jesus, the time, the place, the nature of his person, and of course the very details of his death On the cross. You read Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53, and you have these prophets writing hundreds of years prior. Uh, David is about a thousand years before Christ, Isaiah about 500 years before Christ, and yet minute details all come to pass. This book is verifiable by the fulfillment of prophecy. Number 10, this Uh, centered on Christ and redemption. The Mormons believe that Christ is the Son of the Father. There's an amazing turnaround, a total contradiction of what the Bible teaches. To Mormons, Christ is the brother of Lucifer. The Book of Mormon teaches that the fall of man only affects his actions, not his nature. And Christ's death was not a substitutionary sacrifice in the stead of sinners. Now you compare that with the Bible, what it says about redemption and the work of Christ, and you'll find that the Old Testament is all, it's like a threaded weave work, all leading to the person of the Lord Jesus that's coming into the world, whether it's the book of Genesis or Exodus, Leviticus, and on through the prophets and the minor prophets. What are they prophesying about? the coming of the Messiah. And the Old Testament is about and focused upon the Redeemer and how he would come to save his people. And then, of course, in the New Testament, what's it all about? The Lamb. John the Baptist preaches, he's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. When you get to Revelation, it's still about the Lamb. He's the Redeemer. There's the unity we have in the the Bible. We don't see that. In fact, we see diametric opposing doctrines here in the statements of Mormon. Number 11, good news for sinners. What kind of religion would it be if there's no good news for sinners? Mormons vigorously reject the doctrine of justification by faith. That's the only gospel we know, that we are pardoned, forgiven, on the basis of justification by faith. But you'll notice here that this man, Talmadge, a Mormon teacher, he calls this a pernicious doctrine. And I don't know why it is, but the cults hate justification by faith. The Church of Rome hates it. The Church of Rome has anathematized anybody that teaches this doctrine. And the cults consistently hate the doctrine of justification by faith because that's the glory of the gospel. That's the very center of the wonder of our salvation, that we're justified by faith alone. And you go on down the statements of Mormonism in that uh, last row, column two, you'll notice that there's no hope for sinners. There's no gospel, no good news whereas the gospel contained in this Bible were to preach to the worst of men in their most lost condition. And if I was tonight to preach that last box, we'd be here another good while. But I want you to notice at the close of that box uh, that our gospel is not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, It's the gift of God. I wonder how long we'd have to attend a Mormon temple before we're told that. Why is it that the cults don't want to give sinners the gift of God? I don't understand it. And here we have the good news that the poorest, vilest sinner can be saved in his lost condition. The gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And yet these Mormons come to our doors, and they want us to attend their meetings, to hear their message, and they want to gather in more converts to their religion, to take them to a lost, Christless eternity. I think we have analyzed this Book of Mormon in a very, I wouldn't say scientific manner, but in a researched manner, and sought to lay it out. Side by side, because there are Mormon statements that say that if you have the Book of Mormon, that that overrides the, the scriptures of the Bible. You see, you can't add to the Word. Once you add to this Word, you destroy it, and you end up with another gospel, which is not another of the same kind, it's a totally different gospel. And that's what Mormon is, Mormonism is, and that's why it grieves my soul. To see such an edifice in our neighboring municipality, erected as a testimony to the God of Joseph Smith, a deceiver who has introduced a religion to the world that has become vast deception. And the Bible has warned us that in the last days, men will have tickling ears, itching ears, rather than a hunger for the word of God. Be not deceived. And I trust that you will equip yourself, that when Mormons come along or you meet with them, number one, you'll feel the sorrow of soul, that they're lost, that they've believed a lie, and without Christ as their personal Savior, without justification by faith, they'll never be in heaven. And you and I have a duty and debtors to grace to share the gospel with them. Maybe we should start with the gift. I don't think they even understand the concept, the gift of God. What a wonderful thing that we have this salvation. We praise the Lord for it, and we bless God that we have this glorious gospel. Thank you for listening with us here on Let the Bible Speak today on our message on Mormonism. We'll be continuing this tomorrow and through the week here. And this is a gospel issue. Please do note this, that this is about how a man is just with God, how a sinner can be reconciled to God. The gospel says that a man is reconciled through the death of the Lord Jesus by believing on that one-time Sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Mormonism is a religion of works. It is a religion whereby it's a process to become more like God and to become a God. Now, that again it's it's a heresy, it, it's absolutely false. Men, creatures, will never be gods. God is one, God is holy, God is transcendent. We are creatures. And we may, of course, be changed into something of his likeness, a matter of degree, but never taking that divine nature. And so the whole idea of how a man is saved, what it means to be saved, and what is eternal life, it is all convoluted in the Mormon system. And so this is a matter of the gospel. When you die, will you go to heaven? have you done enough to earn eternal life? The Christian says, I am lost. I am undone through my own sin, through my empty works of rebellion against God, and all my righteousness are as filthy rags. And so I come to Jesus, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And we know that there on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ who became man for us, offered a one-time all-sufficient sacrifice to save men from sin by the value of his own blood. And that sacrifice has been accepted by the Father, and when he accepts the sacrifice, he accepts the Son, and by our faith in that sacrifice, we are saved. So this is a matter of justification by faith alone. And again, as Martin Luther well said, this is the standing or falling of the church. The church that denies justification by faith, neglects it, or hides it, is not the church of the Lord Jesus. And so we do call you to the gospel today, to simple saving faith in the one-time substitutionary sacrifice of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross that's the gospel that's how a man is saved and i hope today that you will put your complete trust in the lord jesus and our prayer is that mormons will come to understand and enter into the wonderful liberty of the gospel of justification by faith alone